Another characteristic that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes to his disciples are to be merciful. In Matthew 5 and verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As previously noted, and we have made mention of it, I believe every time, if not pretty close to every time, that these are not in random order. They are, they are not in random, they're not, yeah, random order. They're characteristics and they have a logical place and sequence. Now first, a person then must be poor of spirit. And we noted that at least a part, in part that means to be humbled. And the fact is that all men have sinned and because we have sinned, we're, we stand face to face to God, we see his majesty, we see how magnificent he is, we see that he's perfect. And when we look at self, we see how hopeless we are. Then we notice also that we must mourn because of sin. Well, when we look at ourselves in light of God and how powerful God is and how wonderful he is, how can we help but mourn over our own sin? And to mourn over the fact that while in sin, we are separated from God. Then we must also be meek. In other words, we must meekly submit to the will of God. Put him before anything else in this life. And, and it's so easy to get caught up in this world and put the things of this world before God. But we must put God first. And that's being me. And putting God above ourselves and above others. Then we notice that we must hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is not enough to realize a person's own standpoint in the sight of God. It's not enough to realize we are sinful. It is not enough simply to repent of sin. We must also hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in this lesson, we want to add the next virtue, which is mercy. Blessed are the merciful is a most serious and soul-searching question and statement. In fact, all these virtues should be soul searching. Am I poor of spirit? Am I, am I or do I mourn because of my sin and because of the sin of the world? Am I meek? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? And am I merciful? Soul searching. Notice the word merciful is actually an adjective. It describes or it modifies a noun. It ought to modify Jesus' disciples. It ought to describe Jesus' disciples. Does merciful describe your life? Does it modify your life? I certainly hope it does. And that question should help us to answer that question. Now to help each of us to answer these questions and to consider what it means to be merciful and the topic of mercy, then we're going to look at it from different standpoints. So the first is we're going to look at what is mercy. My, now, by definition, mercy is refraining from, from harming offenders or enemies. It is a disposition to forgive or be kind. It's the power to forgive. Now, really, a lot can be understood and learned by comparing the idea of grace and also mercy. Now many times 
we'll find within scripture, and there are a number of times within scripture that mercy and grace are used synonymously. There's no doubt about that. But though they are similar, and though they are sometimes used synonymously, there is our, they are certainly related, but there is a difference between the two. In most of Paul's epistles, he wrote to the recipients of those epistles, whether it be churches or individuals, he wrote grace and peace to them. Now the, exam, the, exam, or the, the exception to that rule is 1st Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, and also interestingly, 2nd John. And there in those books he wrote, or the writers wrote, grace, mercy, and peace. Now, because they're used in the same sentence, then there must be some difference between the two of them. It doesn't make sense that there'd be the same thing and that he would list the same thing multiple times with just simply different words. Also on several occasions within the, in the Old Testament, God is described as gracious and he's also described as merciful. And, then, and on some occasions, He's described as gracious and merciful, as in Psalm 86 and other places as well. But consider with me for a moment the promise given to Moses after Aaron and the children of Israel had made the golden altar. In Exodus, the, 30, the 33rd chapter and verse number 19, God said, I will make of my... Uh, I will... Uh, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Well, that very statement shows and indicates that there is a difference between grace and mercy. So what is the difference? Well, grace is giving something to someone which does not deserve or has not earned. In other words, if I would pull out a, I don't know, since I was in Mexico and I brought back some, some pesos, although it takes 17.6 pesos to make a dollar, but nonetheless, if I brought out some pesos and gave you a peso, you didn't earn it. You, it was just simply a gift to you. That's grace. However, mercy is quite different than that. Mercy is refraining from giving someone what he deserves or who has offended you or is your enemy. So if someone punches you in the jaw, and doesn't that remind you of something that Jesus said later on? Someone punches you in the jaw, what are you to do? You to show mercy to them. You're not to refrain or to retaliate. We are to, to show mercy to them. So Mercy then is, is different than grace. Mercy goes on, goes beyond not giving to your enemy what he deserves. For the second part of the definition says it is a disposition to forgive or to be kind, the power to forgive. Now that's really how many of the prophets of the Old Testament use it. I always think about Micah the prophet and Micah had dealt with the sins of Israel. And they were not merciful one to another. They did not show pity. They did not show compassion one to another. And that's what that second definition is about. We must be the kind of people 
that show pity and compassion. We must be merciful in that sense. It is the desire then to help another uh, living being. When it is used this way, it is very closely related to grace. Now, next we want to look at what mercy is not. Now, a lot of people attribute to being merciful these various concepts. Now, mercy is not mean, uh, does not mean just simply to be easygoing. That is, letting things uh, get to us. And we've heard different ones, and sometimes it's said in, a, in this way in modern usage that, oh, that person that is able to just be easygoing and and not allow things to, to um, bother them, that they are merciful in nature. And that is, that's really not what mercy is. The modern day adage is that we let things roll off of us like water on duck's back, or we roll with the punches, but that's really not being merciful. Nor does it mean not ignoring or pretending that sin exists or that evil exists. In our day and time, many turn their backs on sin. And I've heard people say, oh, that mother is so merciful to her children because she just ignores what they're doing. But that's not being merciful. In fact, that's just simply being permissive. And if it does exist, then we don't call it anything. We don't call it out. And we say, well, that's being merciful. Well, people like that are like the old ostrich with his head in the sand. They often think it will go away if they just simply ignore it. But the fact is, like Eli, like Samuel, and like David, who was permissive with their children, it comes back to haunt them. It is seldom the case that we can simply ignore it and it just go away. Mercy is also not smiling at transgression. Again, this is a common characteristic and, in, and it seems like that's how people think about it today. They think that being merciful is to be carefree and to be permissive and say things like, well, these laws really don't mean what they say. And these laws, they really don't matter. And that's such a small thing, an insignificant law. And, and then, or they'll say something like, laws are meant to be broken. And nowadays, I don't allow that to get by. I just say, Yes, they are. They're not, they're not. I mean, can you imagine a God in heaven saying, oh, I know I'm going to create these laws for you Israelites, but they're made to be broken. No, they're not. And can you imagine the legislator being in Congress and doing the things that they do and they decide that they're going to pass a law and they say, well, we're going to pass this law, but it's meant to be broken. No, it's not. It's meant to be kept. And so being permissive like that is not that kind of thing. It's not just simply ignoring those things. But I always think about a man that I knew down in Arkansas, and he had been a member of the church for most of his life. And he was, I don't remember how old he was, but he was, was 
relatively old in comparison at least and i'm sure he was older than i am now but at any rate he was known to be merciful but the fact is he was just simply permissive and the fact is he would talk about the laws of god as if they really don't matter and i asked him one day when he made mention of the fact well that doesn't really matter and i said well which laws that god has permitted or that is given unto us that really don't matter i mean you must know which ones are important and which ones are not and he wouldn't answer the question because all of them are important we cannot just simply uh, ignore those things so such attitudes are always uh, leads to greater offenses now let's give some examples and i i chose three examples of mercy and i think the first one really at least in my mind stands out and that's concerning joseph who showed mercy to his brothers who had sold him into slavery in genesis chapter 45 and verses 4 and 5 there the bible says and mo and uh, joseph said unto his brethren come near to me i pray you and they came near and he said i am joseph your brother whom ye sold into slavery. Now therefore be not grieved nor anger, angry with yourself that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Now from Joseph's standpoint, he was a great man in a lot of different ways. But can you imagine the first time he saw his brothers? He recognized them. They did not recognize him. And yet... He realized that he had gone through what he went through because God sent him there to preserve life. Now, I don't know how long it took Joseph to come to that reality, but by the time he revealed himself to his brothers, he understood that. In other words, what, he, what we're talking about is he had stored up during those seven years of famine he, or during those seven years of plenty, he stored up for the seven years of famine, and he was preserving the life of his father and the brothers who sold him into slavery. Can you imagine? When, when his father died, and turn with me to chapter 50, and let's look at verses 15 and also verse 20, 21. When Joseph's father, uh, Israel, passed, from this life this is what it says concerning the brothers and when joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead they said joseph will peradventure perhaps hate us and will certainly requite all the evil which we did unto him they were afraid and you could imagine he thought or they thought that joseph would just simply hide that mercy that he showed all those years while he provided for them but after the dad passed they thought he would requite them in other words pay them back now verse 21 now therefore now this is joseph now therefore fear ye not i will nourish you and your little ones and he comforted them and spake kindly to them joseph was a man of mercy and i don't know if i would be the kind of person that joseph would be but i hope that i would be 
but he's an excellent model for the rest of us. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. They deserved to be punished, but Joseph was merciful and did not give them what they deserved. Another example of mercy is the Good Samaritan. And because of the length, I don't think we'll read it, but I think most of us recognize the story that, that Jesus told concerning this. And there's actually an illustration of who is your brother or who is your neighbor. And Jesus then talked about this certain man that went down from Jerusalem unto Jericho. Now the down there, it's actually, it's, it's east in direction and down is downhill. And just always keep in mind, down is not like in English, or in, we use it in the United States, where down means south and over means east or west and up means north. That's not how it's used in Scripture. It's used in, in reference to elevation. And so he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho was close to the Dead Sea. It was down in elevation. And he fell among the thieves. And the thieves then stripped him of his raiment. They wounded him. And then they left him half dead, it says, the text says. That's verse number 30. And there, by chance, it says, came down a priest and then a Levite, and they saw the man, but turned away and would not help him. And then a Samaritan came. And the Samaritan, now just remember that the Samaritans were people that the Jews hated. And this would have been very offensive to the Jews in Jesus' day. But the Samaritan saw the man. He helped him. He bandaged him up. He took him to an end. He took care of him. And then, not only that, he gave money to the innkeeper to care for him. In other words, the Samaritan showed mercy unto him. Uh, so he showed pity and he showed compassion. Now, the question that sometimes people will ask is, well, what about this Samaritan? Uh, and also, what about this man, no doubt a Jew because he went from Jerusalem unto Jericho. Was he truly a victim or did he deserve it? Well, there's no indication of that. Uh, did he have what was coming to him well maybe and we're not told about that but whether he deserved it or not the samaritan had mercy on him and he had compassion on him and for that reason he was a man that was neighborly now the third example that i had chose was jesus and i think that's the one that stands out more than anyone else in Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 53 to 56, while Jesus went through Samaria, a certain village did not receive him. And James and John, they looked at Jesus and they asked Jesus, Lord, will thou command us that we would call fire from heaven and come down and consume them, even like Eli Elias did, Elijah did? And Jesus then rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In John the 8th chapter, verses 3 through 11, 
A woman was caught in the very act of adultery. But Jesus handled the situation in such a way that he convicted the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees and he showed mercy to the woman. And he said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he asked, where are your accusers? And then he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. He didn't ignore the sin of the adulterous woman. He did exhort her and go and sin no more. She knew the sin that she had committed. And she knew the crime for the sin that she had committed. And those that were so hypocritical in their judgment knew the crime that she had committed. And they were all silenced. But Jesus showed mercy. Knowing that men deserve death because of sin, God sent Jesus to bring life, John 10 and verse 10. Knowing he could have called 12 legions of angels to deliver him and, and to destroy his adversary, yet Jesus still went to the cross, bore the, the cross, went to the mock trial, and was crucified, Matthew 26 and verse 34, or 53 rather. And while looking down from the cross, Jesus saw those that had crucified him. Now think about this for a second. You know, generally speaking, when we think about this particular statement that Jesus made, we think about the Jews who had mocked him and, and persecuted him. But we're talking about the men, not only that persecuted him and mocked him, but we're also talking about the Romans who'd driven the nails in his hands. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 and verse 34. Truly an example of mercy. The second part of our lesson is, am I merciful? And when someone transgresses against you, yea, deliberately harms you, how do you respond? Now surely all of us have, been, have experienced things like that. When people deliberately do things against us, how do we respond? Do we show mercy or do we retaliate? Now, to retaliate is to return like for like. It reminds me of the very thing that Jesus would teach later on in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, in chapter 5, when he said, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old, um, or ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And if any man or and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. You see, that's what we're talking about. Are we looking for retaliation? And that's what retaliation is. Is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's to avenge. Are we looking to show mercy 
are we looking to vindicate? To vindicate is to exact um, or to, to make right the wrongs that's been done. It's to, uh, one is to revenge, to retaliate is to revenge, to vindicate is to avenge. Do we show mercy or do we try to get them back? Do you feel pity? Do you feel sorry? Do you show kindness? Consider for a moment the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's recorded in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 23 through verse 35. And even though this is lengthy, I think it's good for us to read this particular parable. There in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35, the text says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I know that that's really difficult to estimate of the value of that, but that would be somewhere around about $10 million. Now, can you imagine owing $10 million? I mean, you know, most of us, we might owe a couple of hundred thousand on the house that we have or something like that. But can you imagine having a debt of $10 million? But then it goes on to say, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Now, could you imagine selling everything that you had, including your family, that which is ought to be most valuable and to pay a $10 million debt? I don't know about you. I don't think I have that much stuff. But yet that's what the man, the king was going to do. But listen to what the servant did. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will, will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now he just asked for patience. All he wanted was the Lord to be patient to him. But then the Lord, his king, just forgave him of his debt. But now verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Now the value of a hundred pence is about $20. He had a $10 million debt that his master forgave him of. And he had a fellow servant that owed him 20 bucks. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. In other words, the fellow servant did exactly the same thing that he had done to his master. But now verse 30, And he would not but went and cast him into prison till, till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were, were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespass. I don't know about you, that parable is pretty soul-searching. That parable is something that we all ought to consider. Because when people sin against us, it's usually a pretty small matter in comparison to our sin against the Father. And when we came to the age of accountability, we began to sin. And can you imagine if you could calculate all the sin that you've ever committed, even if you've lived a righteous life for the most part, can you imagine if you could calculate all the sin that you have ever committed and then we cannot forgive our brother or our sister of some small thing that they have done? How sad. An interesting statement that's made throughout the Old Testament is, for his mercy endureth forever. And in fact, this phrase is found 42 times in the book of Psalms. And in one Psalm, Psalm 136, it's found 26 times and there's 26 verses. It's found in every verse in Psalm 136. It is used five times in Psalm 118. His mercy endureth forever. Now, if God's mercy endureth forever, you think we ought to be, if we're godly, and we're imitating God, that we ought to also be merciful? When we fully recognize the mercy of God, how can we be anything else but merciful? If I know God has been merciful to me, I also know I'm indebted to mercy. If I have been forgiven of my sins, I am indebted to forgiveness and to forgive my fellow brother. If I am unmerciful, then I am also must be either I fully do not understand God's mercy or I am still so carnal, so carnally minded, I am still in my sin. Our third point is the reward of being merciful. When he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall, shall obtain mercy. And we have to ask, well, how are we going to obtain mercy? And I think there are a number of ways that we really looking at scripture can figure out how we obtain mercy. So they will obtain mercy from their fellow man. In the 21st 
proverb or in verse number 13, he said, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. We reap what we sow. And that's what Galatians 6 and verse 7 says. But let's think about this for a second. Who are you more apt to show mercy to? To those that are merciful or to those that are ruthless? And we must show mercy to everyone. But I, I know it's easier to show mercy to those that are merciful than it is to be to show it toward those that are ruthless. But then we also will receive mercy and obtain mercy from God at the present or in the present situation, the present age. In Matthew 6 and verse 12, he said, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew 6 and verse 15, he went on to say, But if ye forgive men, not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And in Mark, the 11th chapter, in verse 25, And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. Well, when does God forgive us of our trespasses? In this present age, He forgives us. So we obtain mercy even while we're in this present age. But then ultimately, we shall obtain mercy from God on the day of judgment, on the day of the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, there Paul wrote, The Lord grant unto him, the, the him there in that particular context is Onesiphorus. And, uh, and Paul then said that the Lord would grant him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he administered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So Paul then writing to Timothy, and Timothy was working in Ephesus, and there was this man named Onesiphorus. And Paul recognized the graciousness and the merciful attitude that Onesiphorus had. And so he requested that God would have mercy on the day of judgment. Now, I don't know if Onesiphorus by this time was sick and dying, and I assume that he was. I know that he was on another occasion, but whether that be the case or not, God, or Paul rather still requested mercy on that day of judgment. In James 2 and verse 11, and he shall have judgment without mercy, and he uh, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoicing against judgment. And then, of course, we remember Matthew 25, and that's the sheep and goat judgment. And I asked the kids during the sunshiners about where the sheep and goat judgment is. Well, that's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 to the end of the chapter. And you remember Jesus gave us a glimpse of judgment there. But, you know, when you look at that in light of what we're talking about it, is that the sheep saw the hungry, saw the thirsty, saw the strangers, saw the naked, the sick, and those in prison, and they showed mercy to them. And so Jesus said, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then to the goats, they saw the same thing 
They saw their fellow man who were hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, but they showed no mercy. And Jesus said, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know about you. I want to be numbered with the sheep. I want to be merciful. But there's a secondary reward, and that's the blessedness. Blessed are they which are merciful. And so it is also a reward, and that happiness that comes with it. Now, in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. With joy. The wells of salvation that God has provided for us. In other words, the abundance of salvation running up and flowing over. And God has provided all that for us and the joy that's associated with that. In Romans 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You remember the account concerning the Ethiopian eunuch where Philip was called upon to teach that eunuch. But when the eunuch obeyed the gospel, you remember what the text says? This is Acts 8 and verse 39. It says he went on his way rejoicing. He had obtained mercy and he went on his way rejoicing. Have you looked deep into your heart to answer the question, am I merciful? This is a serious and soul-searching question. It is not some unimportant question. It is not some unimportant issue. For mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law, Matthew 23 and verse 23. And it's serious and soul-searching because a person's eternal destiny is, depend is dependent upon whether or not he shows mercy. In Proverbs 3 and verse 3, the proverb writer, probably Solomon, said, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck and write them upon the tables of thine heart. In Luke 6 and verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, even as your Father also is merciful. Remember, Christians must and disciples must and ought to imitate God. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This evening we do want to offer the invitation. If there's someone that would like to respond to it, we ask you to do so at this time as together we stand and sing to encourage you.